Welcome to the Feral Minds Podcast. You are right where you need to be, and we are glad you're here. Come seek with us as we laugh at what we have known and find direction from what our curiosities demand we learn. All right, all right, all right. Welcome to Excessive Moderation. Because I have to say, if there's anything that I could ever put up with when it comes to moderation, it would be evaluating it in excess and finding out where moderation is unnecessary in life. Because I got to say, as a personality trait, and I do think that it, it is a personality trait, an addictive personality, I, I figured out through a little bit of self-awareness, that's where I ride in life. I am the kind of person that if I hear a song I like, I want to turn it all the way up. If it feels good, do it. If a little is good, how is more not that? And moderation is a place that I often go to when I feel like I've gone too far. Moderation is always, it can be a band-aid for me. Anything that commands your passion, uh, moderation, it, it'll be a place you bounce in and out of. Uh, and some of these lifestyle habits that, that you and I have fought over the years, moderation is the cure. But it, at times it seems like we always have to touch the far wall before moderation even seems like a cure. And so with, with your, let's say, for example, your battle with alcohol, moderation has been the cure. Well, actually, more on that, it, it was turn it all the way off. It's it, strangely enough, what I have learned in my life pretty much all came through extremes. Too much of this, not enough of that. All right, let me get too much of this. So it, what I end up with in my life is with very little moderation whatsoever, I do seem to slip, trip, and fall into a state of balance. And I think really in the end, that's more what we would be looking for whenever you're trying to get a moderated state. To touch on this, what we need to look into is a few different areas where it gets applied in life. I know one of my favorites that has led me to a life of freedom. You can't have too much of that. <laughs> you want to go ahead and get yeah. a little bit of freedom's good, you want more. When we're really looking for what we want to turn up, the volume on in life, what we want to eliminate moderation, one of those areas would be in your personal choice, your freedom, personal choice in freedom, your ability to, to use this life, spend this time on this planet the way you choose to. Freedom, freedom, is that from a job? Is that from an addiction? Is that from a bad relationship? Freedom takes on a lot of forms, but when, when you're free, moderation at times has no place. I think moderation in our career is one of those areas where there are times for moderation. There are also times where moderation will keep you absolutely pinned down to your chair. Moderation can equal stagnation. If you're inside of a, a cube right now, inside of a glass building, if you're inside of a box, inside of a box, if, if you look left and right and you see carpet on the walls, that level of moderation that you're applying to your career is not serving you. Yeah, that's the kind of lifestyle you need to exercise, extremes. Like one phrase I love, uh, I got from, uh, from a movie, and it's get busy living or get busy dying. And that, I think right there would be the main part. I would speak against any sort of moderation. You know, we might need to decide here where we're going to talk about where it's good first or where it's bad. Because right now we're bouncing in between, but when it comes to a point, like you said, a, a career change, a, an aspect of your life that involves so much with how much you spend your time throughout the day. If you're going into that and needing change, you got to turn that volume all the way up. You've got to get busy living or get busy dying. It, it, it may feel like you don't have any way out of that carpeted box within a box that you're talking about, but 
through leaning in, getting away from moderation, getting away from just figuring out how to put up with this will get you to, will be what breaks you out of that sack. In the, that could be finding a new job, but it also sometimes in an organization, it's finding the opportunity to set yourself apart from the other people that are trapped inside these cube boxes. Is there a problem that needs to be solved? Is there a risk that needs to be taken? What, what do I do to step myself forward outside of this herd? And is that opportunity glaring at me? Am I even looking for that opportunity? I, I think a lot of times in our careers, we get stuck with who we're supposed to be and what our role defines. But in, in every organization, if you step out of what has been moderated in your existence, there's an opportunity. There's an opportunity for you to grow. There's an opportunity for you to grow your personal brand. But it doesn't come from the comfort of moderation. You have to seek that opportunity. It's there. Every organization, I mean, the organizations you and I were in, they all have problems. And they all have problems that over time people have decided not to tackle or there are issues that people don't want to take on. Or sometimes if you're new in an organization, the other people just can't see it. They've lost objectivity. And so you have an advantage in being a new person in a cube because you can walk around and question things. You also have the, the luxury of being a new person. And when you're new, you have all kinds of grace. You have all kinds of grace to ask questions. You have all kinds of grace to build relationships and to even ask dumb, stupid, why would I do that? I'm the new guy. What do I know? But in those motions, if you have a tent, if you step outside of the moderation that's been handed to you, there are opportunities outside of moderation, especially when you apply risk in a functional, strategic manner, there are opportunities all around you. And, and it might be just right outside the cube wall. It might be the guy with the cube a little taller than yours that doesn't know a program that you know. But when you step outside of the moderation that you've been handed, there's opportunity there. Yeah. In life, it needs to be turned up. That's a place the volume needs to be. I feel, though, in some areas that we want it, like, we're beating up moderation right now. <laughs> and I knew there was going to be some of that. Heck, I want to We're two extreme people. We're, we're extreme people. And so. I've learned too much in life from practicing extremes. Now, one area that moderation is good is whenever you can start applying it to your finances. Only taking what you need, not trying to have extra. We do way too much of this in our lives, and it is a point of contention. Like, this causes a lot of hardship whenever we are told by society that one area you don't need to moderate, there's one area that you're supposed to just get as big and out of control as you possibly can, and that's your bank account. And so we start chasing that with no end in sight. There's no limit on how much money that you're supposed to have in the bank account. And I disagree with that. That is an area that we need to look at how much money is in our bank, almost like how much food is in our belly. And some of us do look at that. <laughs> and you can see those people that look like that. There is absolutely no need for us to continue to take more than we need from life. That goes with money. That goes with food. That goes with people's attention, awareness, any of these things. There is a level of moderation that needs to be practiced. Money's tricky. Money's real tricky because it becomes a surrogate indicator of your value. 
I've struggled with this. In corporate life, I struggle with this. As an entrepreneur now, I struggle with this. And in, in corporate life, you had this real nice growth path. And in that growth path, you would get another five, six, seven percent every year. You had a feel for whether or not you were continuing on that upward climb or not. As an entrepreneur, you got to come in and out of seasons of harvest. And being an entrepreneur is a lot like being a farmer. There are times when you get bumper crops. There are times when you're hoping for a hailstorm so you can get some insurance. There, there are times when you're somewhere in the middle. But I think that overreaching all these moderate topics, specifically with your finances, that lust for more, that needing the new, the I've driven this car for three years and it's no longer adequate. It doesn't smell like fresh dead cow anymore. I need more fresh dead cow. And so I go get another lease or a car payment. And, and when I do, I reset the clock. I throw away any equity I had in that vehicle that would probably serve me. The cars these days are a prime example because that is a big portion of people's nominal debt. It's a big portion of their opportunity to turn down their obligation to whatever has them in bondage. And so if, if you can get your car payment out of your way, and how do you do that? You tolerate a vehicle a little longer or you turn your connection to your identity with that vehicle off. And you say, is this vehicle serving me as a faithful steed? Does it show up every morning and take me where I need to go? If it does, it'll do it for years. It'll do it for a lot of years. And it can save you some debt. And though cars don't traditionally hold equity in the way that other assets do on this planet, they preserve equity. And, and that's important. They can, but, that, but that's the thing, they're not wanting to drive them off the lot. It, it's funny that you mentioned that topic because finances, like I've been trying to say, getting to a happy place with those is what turned the freedom completely up in my life. And it starts with car purchasing choices. Before that, it's your home. The less rent and interest you can pay in life, the better. I, I found a, a tremendous amount of joy, freedom, purpose in life. You know, things you really want by not overexerting myself in my finances towards a car or too big of a house or anything else that we're trying to get out of balance in. That's a little bit where you're, I feel like you see that. Whenever you get to a point where you have to unbalance something, <laughs> like your checkbook, to go into debt, to try to raise the teeter-totter on joy in life, you're missing the boat there. Like you, the, that brand new car isn't the thing that's on the other end of your joy toward teeter-totter. <laughs> it's just going to make that bounce up. It gives you joy now. It gives you joy in the moment. It's but like you pay flash. for that with time. So your joy today is obligated by the time that you let go of in the future because you have to fund today's joy with tomorrow's activity. And I'm not saying turn down joy. I'm not saying turn off the volume on spending altogether. But I think that it is real important to look at where you're getting bang for your buck. And the amount of bang that you get from a brand new car a few months down the road, I have found is not a whole lot different from the bang you get from a five-year-old car about three months down the road. It's not too far from the bang you get in a dark alley. I mean, there are a lot of reasons why when a car goes off a lot, you lose, what, 30%? Oh, I see. Immediately. That's the joke. Like, hey, sucker. Take this car. And what'd you pay for me? Well, as soon as it passes that boundary, as soon as that hits that fresh asphalt, it lost 30%. Now, why would that happen? Because you paid 30% more for functionality 
that you didn't need to. For the look, for that first new car feel, you just wanted that initial spike in the vein. <laughs> and that's all you get. It just hits you for a second. And then that, that you come down off that. Yeah. yeah, I'd give it a little longer than that. So when you buy a new car, what do you got to do? You got to show it to your friends. And that's always a disappointment because a friend can never give as much love for a vehicle as you've invested in it. And so take your brand new Corvette to your buddy and he gets a ride and you get five, six minutes of his praise and then you drop him off and then you drive your $80,000 debt obligation down the road and that moment's come and gone. And so you took a materialistic path to get pleasure from a friend, but they never last and they don't last because the joy is not found in metal. It's not found in stick frame. It's found with something that has a heartbeat. Hey, you're talking to a friend that's actually kind enough to, to appease you for a little bit. I've had my neighbor came up to me with the same scenario you're just talking about. And what was a little bit funny was we hadn't really talked in a while. And the conversation went a slightly different direction before we got into the new truck. Because he had noticed I'd been around the house a lot lately. He asked me what I've been, you know, what do you do? You must be unemployed. <laughs> yeah. I do whatever I want. <laughs> I, you know. I saw you leaving your house at two o'clock one day. Did you get fired? Yeah. Well, I mean, whatever. I don't have to go in. I'll tell you that. And, 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 and as I'm sitting there with the same car I've been driving for seven years, I think I'm pushing 250,000 miles on it, but loving this freedom sitting in my driveway. I realized shortly after that, that the reason he came over to talk to me was to show me that brand new <laughs> Probably an 80000 dollars truck. And you missed your cue. I didn't even You missed your cue. Oh. I was just sitting there like, God, I can't believe my neighbor came over to talk to me. And, you know, me, I'm a little self-absorbed. So, you know, I just kind of started talking about what I've been doing. Well, plus he asked. I mean, it wasn't my fault. But I, like, I seriously did start to realize a little bit into it. He had came over to show off about his new truck. And instead, I threw in his face the freedom that I have because I don't have a new truck. Ooh. And I... I don't know if he keyed in on that. Maybe that's just something I noticed on. But yeah, that story you tell about the person that gets a new truck and maybe you get some satisfaction out of your friend you tell about, that neighbor that came to me, he got zero satisfaction. Dude, everything out we of buy, and I think that's interesting with, with materialism, everything we buy, we always turn around and seek praise from another human. If I buy a new wardrobe, whether or not, I, you know, as an adult, I may or may not ask you how, what you think about it, but I want you to notice my new wardrobe. I want you to notice my new car. I want you to notice my new boat. I think if we could step back out of purchasing people's praise, then how about you just get to know your neighbor? How about you and your neighbor tossing bags, talking about life and, and the purchase of a large vehicle and the surrogation of a lot of his time to that vehicle? They're not even part of the equation. But it, it's weird how we can try to connect to each other through a materialistic purchase. When often, if we would just remove the materialism and connect with a human, then we get the endorphins we need. We get the joy we need. Re remove the metal. Remove the debt. You're not buying friends. Nobody's ever bought a friend. You might think you're buying friends, but you never have. And it's real simple to make a friend. Show up and show interest. I mean, with you, show up and say exactly what I need for you to tell me I'm grateful about, and you can praise it accordingly. Because evidently, when people show up for praise, you just go, well, wait a minute. Look at my praise right here. I, I, I have a little bit of that, but it's the place I've gotten to from applying moderation in the right places. Your finances have led to your freedom. And they really have. Yeah. Uh, I, I mean, and it wasn't like a you just snap your fingers, oh, I've decided I want to be balanced. It, it took a while. We've touched on this show. It was, it was a journey. 
for over 20 years from my 20s to my 40s. And sometime around my 30s, I realized if I'm going to enjoy my life from this point on in a financial situation, I'm not going to carry the amount of debt that I keep adding up right now. There was a time in my life where I said, I have a certain lifestyle I want to live. One of these days, I'll be able to afford it. And I think a lot of us try to live in yeah, that we realm. Do. And, and mm-hmm. the problem is, is that some of us live in that realm up into our 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s. You ever walk around your house and go, this place is a piece of crap. I can't wait until I get a new joint and then I'm going to be all kinds of happy. Oh, yeah. Hey, and you're that... going to take that same nasty attitude that you have about your utility room now. You're going to apply it to a new utility room. But you tell yourself it's going to be different. And you forego the happiness of just cleaning your utility room now. For some utility room you think you're going to have in the future that for whatever reason, all the humans walking around and aren't going to do the exact same they've done to your current utility room. Yeah, no matter where you go, there you there are. There you are. Yeah. Man, and that's another one I touch on. Can you run from problems <laughs> or will they chase you? You know, because I think maybe some you can. Some of them don't chase you. Let's go back to your finances. I, yeah. I think the world would be curious to know. How long did it take you from the moment you decided, listen, I'm going to make a minimalistic approach towards my freedom. And that's how I will become free is by consuming less. From the moment that light bulb snapped, popped, whatever light bulbs are supposed to do, how long did it take you to get there? And what adjustments did you have to make in order to get there? Well, honestly, like with any change in life, the amount it takes you, the amount, the, the time, effort that it takes for the change is, is all going to be um, based on how far off you are. You know, if you're way out of whack on your finances, it, it could take a lot of adjustment and some time. This is one of those things you do, you may possibly have to lean into with some intent for a while. Any of these changes that we might touch on could be that way. But you have time, you have time. With mine, it took me about 10 years, honestly. Between piddly credit card here, on top of this credit card there, on top of this tire loan, on top of this, whatever. There was various things that that it built up and were costing me interest. And those would, I guess, be the two things that I was smart enough to realize I needed them out of my life. And that was rent and interest. And luckily, early on, at the age of 21, bought my first house. I stopped paying rent when I was 21 years old. As soon as you could. Yeah. And that was really one of the biggest launches. Because uh, once I, I did sell that first starter house, that's what got rid of a chunk of my debt. In, all, in, in truth. The other part that added to it was not going into it any further. It's a hard mentality to instill into an American right now, but the mentality you got to have is if I can't afford it, then I don't need to buy it. But everything in society flies against that right now. And for some reason, we keep wanting to believe it. Your house payments are great. That's a great place to start. If you're renting a house because you're waiting on something to change, You're giving money away instead of plugging it into your house, which will be there for you at a later point in time. So you bought your house at 21. And and if you would have spent eight, nine years of your 20s paying rent, that equity is not there for you. And that exit of, and let's say that most people in a modern American life, their house payment's a big portion of their freedom. And if you start early, you get done sooner. It's no different than a retirement schedule because the sooner you get that house paid off, the sooner you get the biggest piece of debt out of your life. And I'm sure with you, you've got a lot of comfort and personal freedom around the reality that you own your home. Mm-hmm. It's yours. 
Nobody's coming for that house. And I have a lot of comfort and personal freedom around my choices to stay there. You know, believe me, I've got a car right now. It's pushing 250,000 miles. In all honesty, I got two cars and a three driver's license household. I'm sitting at a point now that it's easy for me to go off and want to buy that new car, to go and spend too much on something. I've got ideas swimming around in my head right now. I want everything from a Subaru to a Range Rover, anywhere from 10, 15,000 to $80,000 that I could spend right now on a car. And then I have to remind myself, though, of what we said earlier. Whatever I do get here in about three, four months, it's going to be my default. I understand that joy is going to be short-lived. That's not what you can keep chasing. That's a drug you've got to find in life. You know, Huey Lewis and the News kind of said that. You, know, you want a new drug. Drugs like brand new cars, bigger houses, jewelry you can't afford. Those drugs, you come down hard off those. That's like a, a spike of heroin. <laughs> it's pretty immediate. It's an it's immediate, pretty immediate pump right? up, but you're going to fall back down off of that. But then again, if it's not addictive, if it's not something that can grab you in that way, is it worth doing? You know, that's something that I don't necessarily hate on doing things that a lot of society won't recommend. I highly recommend doing some things people tell you not to. In the extremes is what you're saying. There are places where moderation you feel do not serve the individual. Mm -hmm. Let's talk about my path to financial freedom, which is a little bit different than yours. Yours was retiring debt. Mine was accumulating debt. And whether it was my first rental house or my first commercial property, debt was involved. Debt's always been involved. It's not debt that led to a pair of sneakers or a pair of rims. It's debt that gave me yield. I would tell anybody who's looking for a path out that debt's not all bad. You, you need to look at debt as to whether or not it can produce equity and can it give you yield. And that's not the same debt. That is life empowering debt. Now, you still have to maintenance that. You still also have to make sure you don't step beyond your means because you can get sideways in investment debt just as bad as you can in a big car payment. But that, that path to debt, if it produces yield, is also a way people can access freedom. It's also a way they can replace the income or the obligation of selling their time in order to get income. Debt can allow you that if you play it strategically. Uh, but it doesn't involve consumables. It doesn't involve things that lose value. If you're sinking debt into something that depreciates instead of appreciates, and I'm not talking about real estate appreciation, I'm talking about something that goes up in value, your house being one of those, then you really need to question the debt. And, and the debt needs to be in a manner that can be retired quickly, or it really needs to mean something to you. And, and I'm going to challenge most people that your brand new car, your brand new sneakers, maybe even that cruise you can't afford right now, those things are not truly going to set you on a path to freedom the way retiring debt can, or the way buying it. For me, it all started with one rental house. It was one rental house that led to commercial property 15 years later. It started with one, but I didn't live an outrageous lifestyle like them. There weren't jet skis and boats and limousines in my lifestyle. I lived a very conservative lifestyle, and I still do largely today. But my relationship with debt... Yeah, there's still no jets and limousines. In no, there's some old raggedy jet skis that cost me about $1,200 every two weeks when I take them out. But 
There, there, there's no. I still want to use no private down on jets. The jet skis. We got to get the jet skis out sometime. Oh, any, anytime <laughs> you want to take them out, just leave me a two thousand dollar check, and that'll cover the damage, and we'll be good to go. Because yeah, I'm gonna treat those things like Kitty Powers. Yeah, <laughs> you should go ahead and total it. There's no reason not to take a jet ski through a brush pile. I learned that last time we took them out. There's always opportunities to lever debt in your favor, and you need to be honest about where you're applying debt in your life. And it's curious to me that when we go through life, traditional education, even on into college, there's not a lot of lessons about debt. They allow you to learn that one on your own. And it starts with these credit cards you can get in college that nobody should be able to apply to, that these universities open their door to behavior that they know is inappropriate for their students. They know it's going to lead to bad decisions. But the doors open. I always used to joke, you know, they let those credit card companies in there and they come tell you to sign up. And I, I fell into it, just like you're talking about. You know why? It was available. Oh, wanted, and also you I got wanted, a free T-shirt. I wanted the free T-shirt. Yeah. <laughs> they weren't even great exactly. T-shirts. They were hard cotton. So you're thinking about, and, and you think about an institution, and I'm really on the fence with college. Uh, as, we, as we touched on previous episodes, I bought a lot of it. And I did mature through it. And I'm not going to tell you I didn't learn in college. What I'm saying is, as I look back as a mature adult that understands financing of the world, I question a lot of these things. I question loading 18-year-olds with hundreds of thousands of dollars of debt on decisions that they may not even understand are in their interest, or they may change two years from now. I oppose the fact that these universities of higher learning open their doors for credit cards at high interest rates for students that don't understand how debt works. When I step back and look at that, I question who's actually gaining from this, or are we just starting bondage at a really early age and making sure we keep people in that bondage? And then what do we do once we see that happening? Well, I want the people like us who have been through that, seen the problems that it can cause, it's time to come out and affect change against those things. Like I, right now, they're I would hope is no way that you can walk into a college university and just say, hey, we're here to uh, try to rip these guys off and put them completely into debt by giving them a free T-shirt. Do you mind if we do that? The college They come in large and extra large and medium. Hopefully the universities now say no. No, we're not going to allow you to come in and, 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 and predatorily seek out our students anymore. If that is happening, well, we've still got some more to talk about. <laughs> That, that is something our generation needs to look at. We all went through it. We saw it happen. And if we're allowing that to continue on happening to our children, like what have we learned as a generation? Because in any given time throughout the era of man, if we want to talk about what generations do and who's in which one, I think the key is, is that you're here to pick up the pieces from the generation that was before you, put them in a little bit better position, and hand them off to the generation coming next. And anyone who fails to do that, you're, you're going to have some struggles. You're going to see where we have passed it on to our children. And then we're going to see our children suffer where we didn't allow the lesson to be learned. And for sure, in predatory debt towards early high, uh, college students that are poor, that are broke, yeah, that are just struggling, working at Applebee's so they can buy a pizza on Friday night, and all of a sudden you got this piece of plastic, and this piece of plastic will open doors to you. What can you do? I can go on that big spring break trip. I can finally get my car, I don't know, repaired, or I can put some 28-inch rims on it, whatever it may be. Th- those are lessons that, that I think is part of this conversation we're having. It's, it's an awareness of 
conformity, and I, I would say that falls into conformity, that that's not serving us anymore. And it's hard to say I'm going to live a moderate financial life when I start out in my early 20s with massive chunks of debt. And those, those, that level, because that's not moderation. To, to say that you're going to start the beginning of your life with a hundred grand worth of debt, and then you're going to have to work 25 years to pay that down, and some of these interest rates are insane. There's no moderation in that. There's no moderation in a first choice that's supposed to enhance your existence when it puts you in that kind of debt. Go learn to be a plumber. Go learn to be an electrician. You can still do that for free and instantly start making money. There are a lot of ways to start this life without a ton of debt. But you know what holds you back from that? What's that? You have too much of a cap. That was what held me back from going into those trades. Well, all of a sudden now, I can't become the billionaire I needed to be by 30. And whenever you start looking at your planning of your future, and you're trying to plan extremes into it, like a billionaire, millionaire lifestyle that we all saw uh, glamorized by our society in the 90s. Whenever you're trying to strive towards that, you're going to run into struggles. Like, and, and even if you do succeed, you still will run into struggles finding probably some of the happiness that you were really looking for. It is not a gigantic pile of money that's going to make us all happy. Yet we make tons of choices that prevent happiness trying to chase that pile of money that probably wasn't going to get it for us anyway. Yeah, it's a slow awakening that, that success and money, they can be correlated, they can be tied together, but they're not reliant upon each other. You can be successful in many ways. You help out with the, the Boys and Girls Club, and there's no money involved in that. But, but tell me about the success that you get from that experience. Oh, yeah. Uh, Big Brothers Big Sisters is a, an organization that I find tremendous purpose, acceptance, joy. And, and yeah, like you said, it didn't cost a bit of money. Oftentimes, whenever we're chasing money to an extreme, it's because we're out of balance somewhere else in our life. You know, it, it might be through uh, love and connection and relationships. It might be through health and, and confidence in our appearance. But believe me, whenever we have those areas of low self-value, that's where you'll start going into extremes to try to fight against it. And yeah, I, I have truly found some value in myself through that volunteering of time, as opposed to selling my time to someone else to just keep trying to build up this money that will never be enough. I, I, I often would like to joke now, anytime somebody does try to give me some money, my phrase I'll say is, oh, no, don't no, thanks. I got more than that than I need already. First of all, who's walking around trying to give you money? Uh, where, where, do I, where do I find these people? It doesn't happen often. I almost have to just pretend that I get to say that joke. <laughs> yeah. It was just yesterday. Somebody told me, you need more money. Like, I was like, nah. There you go. Here's 100 I, bucks. Yeah, I, got I, would, a, I got enough. I do. I got enough. I, and honestly, if we all look at what our financial situation is, almost everyone has enough. I, and I but would, the problem is we don't see that. We think we have to have an excess to be enough. And then there's no such thing as enough. It feels like we, we learned that. It, it said, so in, in my early stages of my life, like you, I couldn't get enough. I couldn't get enough money. I couldn't get enough money. And I wanted my title to reflect my money. Mm -hmm. And then I wanted my personal worth to reflect my money. That oscillated from, from year to year based on where I was headed in an organization. But like we said earlier, I ultimately come to the conclusion that the joy is behind a heartbeat. And it never has to do with anything that is going to involve swiping a card or something that needs to be garaged. 
It's, it's the joy of a heartbeat. It's the joy of donating your time to youth or wherever you choose to donate your time. That's an important part of life. What's curious about that for me, in my 30s and late 20s, when I was chasing money the hardest, I had zero, zero volunteering in my existence. I didn't volunteer at a church. I didn't volunteer at a youth group. I had no volunteering in my life. And so when I didn't have that joy that came from giving to others, the only joy that I could find was in materialistic pursuits. Was that you were trying to get joy in the getting. That was and that it. joy comes in, in teaspoons, but that joy in giving comes in gallons. That, that really piles up on you. What and holds it's us free. back from it? And it can change you. We get held back from giving, though, because we just don't have enough yet. But wait a minute. I need some more. I, I, I don't want to give this too much away because what if I don't have enough down the road? Yeah. There, there's a whole lot of that, that fear in, in, in wanting more. Because really, though, when it comes down to money, we don't want to have it. We want to use it. I don't want to sit on a million dollars. I want to spend a million dollars. So that's another thing we need to look at. Stop trying to hoard money. Just open yourself up like a funnel. Just let that stuff flow through. Uh, you know, if that's really something you decide, I, I will not let go of money on this earth. I want all the materialism I can get. Go ahead. Lean into that. Get addicted to it. Go see where it gets you in life. See what you can accomplish from it. And that goes for just about anything. I feel like if it's not addictive, is it worth doing? We honestly do want to do things that are so joyful that we have to kind of moderate ourselves out of it. Yeah. And that's fine. And we have to lean into excesses to learn where that moderation happens. Yeah, addiction is a path to, a path to moderation. I think addiction is a path to moderation in your life. Yeah. It's been a path to moderation in my life. The thoughts really piled up this episode. Join us next time. We will continue the discussion. We would like to thank you for listening to the Feral Minds podcast. Hopefully we triggered some curiosity that will have you seeking more. Remember, your mind is meant to run. Slap some sneakers on that bad boy and take it around the block. If you'd like to connect with us or enlist our feral thoughts on a problem in your life, visit us on Facebook, LinkedIn, YouTube, or at theferalminds.com. Also remember, our thought line is always available. 24-7, we don't even allow it to sleep. And we want to hear from you. That number is 866-340-3394. Again, that number is 866-340-3394. We look forward to hearing from you.